Hey everybody, my name is Eric. I'm a heroin addict. Hey, All right, so my sobriety date is 11-17-2018. Um, so I have three years or a little over three years. Um, and that's, that's a fucking miracle. Um, the person you see today is not the person that you saw three and a half years ago. Um, I am a low bottom junkie. I shoot heroin in my neck and I stay homeless for long periods of time. Um, and uh, yeah, so kind of just to, to tell you what it was like, you know, it's pr probably very similar to everybody else's story. You know, it started with like pills and that transition to this and that. But I think before that, what really started was um, I grew up in a, you know, a good middle class family. Uh, my sister was like an overachiever and I struggled in school and she was my younger sister. So uh, from a young age, I like was addicted to bad behavior, like acting out. Right. So an example is like uh, I grew up in Connecticut and we have lots of snow in the winter and me and my other neighbors, uh, the guys that were like, you know, already on the bad track, we would roll up these big giant snowballs together, like what you would make a snowman base out of. And we'd hide behind rock walls and we'd launch these snowballs over the wall uh, at cars driving by in like snowstorms and shatter their windshields and run and, you know, always running from the cops and then, you know, ripping dirt bikes down the roads when we weren't supposed to. And I got addicted to that adrenaline from the beginning. And that's where it was. It was like that rush. Um, you know, and as, as time went on, it, you know, started with like weed and then weed transitioned to alcohol, you know, around like, I'd say 15, 16 years old, I was, you know, selling weed and I had older friends that were giving me cocaine to sell. And like, you know, I just became addicted to this lifestyle and the fast money. And, uh, I never, never thought it would transition into what it did, you know, and, uh, around like 22, I thought I'd run from my pill problem to South Florida, which, you know, I didn't even know at the time. That's like the pill capital of the world. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I like always justified whatever use I was doing, like, you know, whether it was like at that time pills, uh, I maintained a job, you know, and like, uh, I went to school right out of high school to be a dental technician. So I had like this trade, right? And it was like functional artwork. I like loved it. It was a passion. And, and I always maintained a job until I couldn't, right? So uh, I worked for this biomedical company down there and, you know, uh, pills got too expensive. So the, the pill plug was like, oh, try heroin. And back, you know, when I was 22, it was powder form. We were snorting it. And then what that one day there just wasn't enough. Right. It was like, he's like, there's not enough. You're going to have to let me shoot you up. And I was like, fucking run it. You know, and I hated needles. I looked away. Um, and I found myself there multiple times a day, every day, you know, letting him shoot me up and I'd go to work. I put my button up shirt and I go work for this biomedical company. And uh, I'd say my first bottom ever was in Florida. I was 24 years old. So, um, and what we had thought had been black tar out there, it was actually crocodile. So it was like eating my uh, arms from the, from the outside. Like you could see these big gaping holes and people I was running with, like were getting limbs amputated. And, you know, and like, I, I just like, I wanted an out cause I couldn't make it work anymore. And, uh, I got kicked out of my apartment and then I lived with my cousin and she found like a traumatic amount of needles in my room. And she was like, you have a choice. You could be homeless or you could go to rehab. So I chose rehab, you know, 
And uh, that first rehab, it was summer in Florida and my arms were so bad, they made me wear long sleeves for the first 90 days of treatment, right? Because my arms would traumatize others. So to, to this day, like I still look in the mirror and I have tons of scars, right? They just look like these gaping holes. So it's a, a constant reminder, right? But as we go, that's still not enough, you know? And uh, I did this thing for a long time where I put together 30, 60, 90 days and then relapse and then, you know, like just, just constantly in and out, in and out. And I, I wanted to be sober until I didn't want to be sober, you know? And uh, I lost the job and then I ended up in, in uh, California on another plane to another treatment center. And again, like diagnosed from therapists and, and case managers, I was a chronic relapser. You know, the only thing was maintenance. That's what they told me. Um, and I refused every time, right? And, and uh, this, this last time, um, I had relapsed again. I had a big job in San Francisco working for a tech company in Silicon Valley. I had six months sober, no defense from the drink or the drug, right? And uh, I took the job against my sponsor's uh, suggestion because I didn't have a program. And I moved to San Francisco and never went to an AA meeting. And I'd go out with my coworkers and they'd be like, come on, Eric, just have one beer, you know? And I, I know that I can't drink like a normal person and I can't use drugs like a normal person, but eventually with no defense from that drink, I said, ah, what's one beer, you know? And then that one beer led to Xanax bars, which led to heroin again, and then to a tent, you know? Lost the big job in San Francisco. The company paid me 15K to move there and work for the company. And then they paid me 10 grand to leave the company. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how bad it was. And then, you know, I'm like in a tent with three other dudes, a two person tent and we're, you know, smoking crack and shooting heroin. And that's, that's where my life was. And out of desperation, uh, there was like this blessing that happened and, and it was like, my ex came up to see me and, uh, <laughs> I had chose to, you know, hook up one more time and I got her pregnant, you know? And, uh, luckily like I had insurance this time from that job. I paid for the Cobra or somebody paid for the Cobra. I think it was my family member and I got into treatment. Right. And I remember coming back down to Orange County again. Um, I had a cat and a cat carrier, a garbage bag filled with clothes, like just a few pairs of clothes, not much. Right. And a pregnant ex-girlfriend. And I walked in, the Uber dropped me off and I was like, I'm done, you know? And, uh, I sat in that treatment center and the, the urge is always like, so crazy, right? It's like, it's pulling you out. And she ended up leaving, you know, and I, luckily one of the techs sat me down and was like, Hey, Eric, you have two choices here. You can leave and you can go buy a tent and be homeless in a tent. And I was always content with that. Right. Or you could stay and be there for your kid, you know? So I, I chose to stay. Right. And I, I wrote it out and, uh, you know, around seven months sober, um, my kid was about to be born, you know, and his mother, she couldn't get off heroin. So, um, I went to my sponsor and my treatment center and, you know, I went and drug tested myself a bunch of times and I, I showed up in court the day my kid was born because there was an open CPS case at that point. And I said, Hey, look, I'm sober. I'm trying to do the right thing. And, uh, the judge awarded me full custody, you know, so seven months sober, not a lot of time. And I have a, a, a newborn, you know what I mean? And like, um, so, and then CPS, they don't trust you, you know, they don't, they don't treat you like you're sober. Right. Um, I couldn't do anything right. It felt like 
But this was like a turning point in my steps and in my recovery where I found a connection to a higher power. It's like I had to have faith. If I was doing the right thing, things would work out. And they always did, you know. Um, I, I got a diluted test for a bang energy drink. It spiked the creatine levels, and then they sent me back to rehab at a, a little over a year sober. No treatment center would take me. I had a cash pay at a rehab in Santa Ana just to complete three months of uh, treatment. You know, but like all these curveballs, I like managed to um, just keep trying, you know, like stay on the path, you know. And um, as time went on, my mom came back in my life. She was willing to help, you know. Uh, she lives out of state, so she would come and visit and take care of my kid, help me take care of my kid for months at a time. And, you know, it's like, um, so kind of touch on how it went, right? It's like, I was so desperate, I needed help, right? And a tech through the phone was like, this guy's going to be your sponsor. And I just wanted anything. Like, I, I wanted to stop obsessing about killing myself, you know? And uh, I just did what he asked. He said, I want you to call these other alcoholics every day. And I'd call them. And it was so awkward. It was like against every grain in my body, I'd pick up the phone and I'd be like, please don't answer. Please don't answer. Please don't answer. Right. And then they pick up, you know, and, and then they, it was like, we known each other for a while, you know? And, uh, so I started doing those and then I developed these connections with people that were in the program that had some time and they, they just kept motivating me. It's like, I'm like, oh, this CPS lady, she freaking hates me. You know, like she's always trying to, like she's out to get me. And uh, they're like, dude, you gotta have faith, you know? And uh, it, things always worked out. And then uh, I think, I just kept bugging my sponsor, like, hey, let me, let's, let's get these steps done. And then as I did the steps, I started to get a relief, you know, and um, at seven months sober when my kid was born, I, uh, I was able to like get an apartment, right? So I had an apartment and then uh, I had like a fellowship around me that supported me and helped me through these things that I wouldn't have had if I was homeless, you know, like the only friends I had were like people that it was the typical story, right? Like somebody would hang out and they'd have heroin or Xanax or, you know, something. And we were all just with each other to use each other for the substance. I, none of those people ever would have showed up in court. Like in court, my sponsor showed up. Like, you know, I had people that had some time show up and like, hey, this guy's really trying to do it, you know? And my life changed, you know? My life became totally different. And through the tests, like, um, so I developed a connection with a higher power. And on step two, my sponsor said, I want you to write down a God that you can do business with, right? And like five things you love about God and five things you hate about God. And I grew up Catholic, so I thought I was like doomed, right? Like um, I lied a lot, you know, I cheated, I stole, like I was going to hell, you know? And like, that was my perception. So I didn't have a concept of God. I was like, there is no God. You die, it's black, you know? And uh, like God wouldn't allow us to just people to be taken like this, you know? And so, but as I worked the steps, my concept of God became like, that's not God. God's there holding me up through these things. That's life. Like life just happens. Right. But when I have this connection to something that's not just myself, right. It's outside of myself, like just some spirit of the universe, a power greater than myself. That's keeping me going, you know, like things always end up working out. And, uh, I worked the steps, right? Um, and then I 
got a sp got sponsees. I've taken sponsees through the steps, and they've gotten sponsees, and and we just keep passing on the message, right? I'd, I'd go out to to eat with people in early sobriety. I'd have no food. I wouldn't even want to go. I'd make up excuses like I can't go. I couldn't even buy food for myself. And they'd be like, No, I got you. Just pay it forward. And now when I go out with a new guy, they don't got food. It's the same awkward feeling, but on the other end, I'm like, I got you. You just pay it forward. They're like, no, like, because we don't know how to accept things. We don't know how to accept help, you know, but a lot of people paid it forward for me. So I pay it forward for others, you know, and uh, like I pick up the phone when I don't want to, right? I, I work a full-time job and I work alcoholically sometimes, right? Um, and I sponsor guys alcoholically, but like I still make time for my recovery, you know? And like, um, it seems to work. I developed this, this routine that seemed overwhelming early on. And it was like gratitude list in the morning, you know? And I've been doing this gratitude list for three and a half years. Some days it takes me two and a half hours to do it. Cause I'm like, fucking, what else can I write? Like, what can I even be grateful of, you know? And I started like this big group chat, started like three guys, it's up to like a hundred guys, you know? And we all post a gratitude list in it. And at night we post a nightly inventory. So it's like, somebody asked me, oh, did you see the game? And just blurps out of my mouth, yes. And I never, I didn't even see the game, right? So I have to put dishonest on there. And then I got to worry about judgment, but it's like, it's like the great setup for, um, you know, like to watch what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I hold this awareness now so people, uh, and, and if people judge me, I'm like, okay with it. Cause today, like I'm okay with trying my hardest, you know? Um, I've put myself in some sketchy situations in sobriety, in early recovery. I worked for a big dental company and those dentists like to party, right? And my boss was like, oh, we're going to a Lakers game and like, we're taking a limo bus and everybody's like doing blow. And I got like, you know, four months sober and like, I'm, I remember like walking into these situations, like freaking out. And then like somebody would ask me and I'd just be like, no, I'm, I don't, I don't drink or I, I don't do that. Right. And like, that was it. Nobody pressured me. Right. And then today, like I have a coworker, he doesn't understand it. Right. He's like, Hey, like I'm about to get some Zans. You want Zans? I'm like, dude, if I take a Zan, I'll destroy my life. I'll steal the Zans from you. And then I end up homeless. Like, that's just how it goes. He's like, I don't understand. I'm like, dude, you don't have to understand. I'm, I'm like allergic. You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's it. Like today I have a defense from drugs and alcohol, something I never thought I'd have right before. Like I had no defense, you know, but I think the most important thing is, is like, and honestly, every lead I do, I try to leave the God thing out because when I was new, like if you talked about God, I'd be like, fuck that. You know what I mean? But today, like I try to share about God without mentioning it. And like this lead, obviously I mentioned it a little bit more because it's the truth. Right. But I think what I'd like to drill home is that it could be any concept of God it doesn't have to be the big man upstairs or whatever. Right. It's just not myself. Um, but I see, I see amazing things. Right. But I also see a lot of people die. I've had two or three sponsees overdose and die, you know, in the past two years. Um, you know, like we don't, the majority doesn't make it. So I think for me, what I have to do on a daily basis is I have to do everything I can to combat this thing because I know, like, I joke about it, but I'm like a low-bottom junkie, 
You know what I mean? Like, I think my first nine months of sobriety, I was still finding random needles uncapped in my car. You know what I mean? Like, I'd pick up a newcomer, and they'd get in, and they'd, like, shut the door, and, like, this needle would pop out, and they'd be like, you know, or, or and I was on a fourth waiver, so, like, cops could pull me over randomly, and they'd search my car. You know what I mean? Like, but as fate would have it, it's like, nothing's ever came about it, right? It was always, like, people holding me accountable, and we, we just keep moving, you know? But um, it's hard to actually, to do a 20-minute lead. We're at 15 minutes <laughs> so um i think that's like pretty much everything i'm sorry i couldn't drag it out a little bit longer but um yeah i would say that you know if i could just touch on like what life's like today it's totally different you know i'm employable right uh i can show up for other people i can never do that before i couldn't show up to a holiday thing i couldn't show up to work I, I remember that job in San Francisco. I was so inconsistent. I would literally leave for like four hours at a time just waiting on the plug. You know what I mean? And like today, like I get upset when I tell them I'm taking a 30 minute lunch and I'm like five minutes over. I'm like, damn. But um, one other thing I will touch on is that when I worked the fourth step, a fifth step told me I am a perfectionist, right? And I think that was a lot of why I relapsed is because I held myself to such a high standard. And today, my God of my understanding is an understanding God. So when I'm not perfect, it's okay. You know, like I could still be an asshole to my kid's mother. I could still like in the next day, I just try not to be, you know, and like um, I could still be like snippy. It's not every day is perfect, but I just don't beat myself up for that shit anymore. You know, and like I try to just do my very best every day. Um, so if you're new, I'd say give it a shot. Latch on to people. Build a tribe. Get uncomfortable. Those are the things that I think are really important in this thing, you know, and the rest will come. So that's all I got. Thanks. Thanks.